Films with the scent of potpourri Films we commit to memory Crossing the felt ropes Watching from home on my TV Looking at all my eyes can see They tell me I view obsessively Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer. We're a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find more of our work at obsessiveviewer.com. And while every episode will always be free, if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer for tons of bonus audio content, including TV and book reviews, immediate reaction, movie reviews, Patreon potpourri episodes, movie commentary tracks, and much more. If you listened to to last week's episode um it was basically a a three and a half hour collection of recordings i made for stranger things that were previously exclusive to patreon uh that episode was kind of a teaser for that so if you want more or if you want to hear my thoughts on the final two episodes of stranger things for uh go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and pledge at the appropriate tier level um I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and you can find me on social media and on Letterboxd at Obsessive Viewer. And joining me today to review Thor, Love and Thunder, and Hustle on the podcast are Tiny, uh, who can be found on Letterboxd at Obsessive Tiny, and Ben, the creator of TheMovieState.com, who can be found on uh, Twitter at TheMovieState. Gentlemen, how are you doing this evening? either one Doing awesome how are you okay. guys nice <laughs> wonderful i'm wonderful the world is wonderful country is wonderful nothing is going wrong yes nothing nothing is on fire <laughs> or yeah uh yeah yep everyone yep. women are doing wonderful mm-hmm. everyone <laughs> kids are doing wonderful yep nothing to complain about no Happy 4th of July. Yes. Yeah, it is 4th of July weekend, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yes, it is. Doesn't really feel like it. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing Thor Love and Thunder, the new MCU movie. And uh, I'm very excited to talk about that because we, the three of us saw it at a press screening last night and... Um, I have a feeling it's going to be a good discussion. And in addition to that, we're going to be reviewing the new, um, the new Happy Madison movie on Netflix, uh, Hustle, um, which is pretty, it's going to be an interesting, that, that's going to be a less interesting, but yeah, yeah. Um, but before we get to all of that, Ben, uh, would you mind telling us, uh, like what you've got going on over at themoviestate.com, anything like recent and, uh, also your happy Valley project over at uh, Midwest film journal and other sure. stuff. Um, um, yeah. Uh, as we're recording this, it's, uh, we're officially halfway over with the year. Yeah. So, uh, I, um, this week I posted all of my uh, best of the year so far. I did uh, movie scenes, uh, performances, movie performances, uh, favorite TV shows, and uh, favorite movies of the year so far. Nice, very nice. What um, uh, 
do you want to give like one example from each of those categories? Not necessarily your top one, but like if you were to like throw a suggestion out or <clears throat> whatever. Sure. Um, uh, let's see. I know um, favorite. Uh, we'll say favorite scene. One of them was, uh, uh, in Top Gun Maverick, the scene between, uh, Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer. Oh yeah. Uh, I really like that one. I mean, whole, the whole third act is pretty much some of the best stuff of the year, but I just love yeah. the quieter moment between the two of them. That was, uh, it, it needed that emotional backbone of the movie and that really helped. So um that was a great one uh favorite performance um uh her name's anna maria vartolome i think is how you pronounce that uh she is the lead in uh happening uh oh, yeah. which is a uh depressingly uh relevant movie right now uh, about a girl who um uh, is in school and discover she's pregnant and tries to go and get an abortion in uh 1960s france where it's illegal um and she's really fantastic in that um i i think that one is available to rent or buy digitally yeah uh, i haven't checked yet but i'm sure it is yeah it's currently available um, to rent yeah yeah highly recommend that um nice. favorite tv shows uh uh, definitely Atlanta. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure neither one of you guys watches that, but, uh, it's, it's fantastic. All of it, uh, it came back this year for the first time since I think 2018. Oh, wow. So, um, it, it, it's really great, really funny, really smart, sharp, uh, social commentary, uh, and everyone in that. That is just fantastic. Donald Glover and Tyree Henry, Lakeith Stanfield, Zazie Beats, uh, just all of them. Really great. Nice. Very nice. Uh, Tiny, you watched, I think, I feel like you watched maybe the first season of Atlanta. Am I right? Yeah, I did. Um, and I really liked it. Um, I just, I feel like there was a big gap between the first and second seasons, too. Mm-hmm. And I didn't watch the second season for that reason. And yeah, because this is going to be the third season, right, Ben? Yes, the third season is over now. The fourth, which comes out next year, will be the last. Okay, gotcha. I, I think I basically just gave up on it. Um, but I did think it was really good, though. Um, does FX, it's on FX, right? They don't have like a streaming, they have like a streaming app, though. On Hulu. Hulu. Okay. Okay. All of it is on Hulu now. Okay. I might. I might give it a shot. Yeah, nice. and and it's really easy to get through. I mean, they're all half-hour episodes. I think there is only like eight episodes per season, so mm-hmm. super quick and easy. Nice. nice. Yeah, I hope I kind of want some more Donald Glover. I haven't seen him do anything in so long, um, and I'm just a massive fan of his. He's so talented. So yeah, yeah, I'll probably give it a shot soon. It's very much like uh, Master of None, which Matt, I know you're oh, a yeah. fan of. Uh, Tiny, um, feel. Have you watched any of that? I haven't, but I know Matt endorses it, and mm-hmm. I'm sure I'd like it. Yeah, it's it's very much like that. It's just all it, 
it very much feels like it's from a singular voice and it's uh it's great yeah nice um yeah awesome um yeah any other any anything else from uh from what you've been posting and everything and what's on the horizon been uh by the time this one comes out uh You'll be able to read my review of Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Nice. Which is uh, one of, if not the uh, my favorite current movie of the year so far. Uh, it's a stop motion animated movie slash live action movie uh, from A24. Uh, just a really fantastic uh, movie that I don't know if I can really accurately describe, but uh, really funny, really heartwarming um uh comes to indie on july 15th so yeah. i was able to go and see it as part of any film fest and that was a really fun experience nice yeah i'm very much looking forward to that one um i unfortunately missed it at any film fest but i i'm very very eager for it because it seems like i like i'd seen i'd seen uh some of the youtube videos of marcel the shell with shoes on uh like way back way back in the day and i don't know like i don't know anything about the plot of the movie or anything i don't really care to i know what i'm getting into but there's just something about that character that makes me feel like like what i'm hoping for is that it is like a big bundle of warmth um like i it feels like this is this could be like a movie that could just really really just like make me just feel like an ounce of happiness for once. <laughs> like it just looks very charming. Uh, that is, that is for sure. Uh, how I would describe it. Yeah. Nice. Um, nice. But without being like schmaltzy, mm-hmm. uh, or, uh, uh, what's the other word? Um, you know, ear jerker. Uh, yeah. Kinda, yeah. That kind of stuff. Um, Yeah. Nice. It's also like Jenny Slate does uh, the voice of Marcel, and she is so good uh, at that voice performance. It's really incredible. Nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Tiny, do you have any uh, interest or history with Marcel the Shell with shoes on? None at all, but I do really like Jenny Slate a lot. Nice. She's funny. Yeah. Um. The there's not really that many YouTube videos out there, uh, from what I can tell. I watched them after I saw the movie, and there's only a couple of them, and they're only like three or four minutes long. Oh, really? So, I thought that there was a lot I more. I think of it. so. Huh? I mean, I. I don't know. Yeah. I I only saw maybe, it, maybe like, they're somewhere else. I'm not the best at YouTube, so. Hmm. Um. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, well, uh, if you yeah. if you watch the the few that I watched, you'll get a good feel for the movie. I think. Yeah, totally. Nice, um, awesome. Well, uh, do you guys want to get into our reviews tonight? Yes, sir. Let's do it. Sure. All right. Awesome. Well, first up, we're going to be reviewing Thor: Love and Thunder, which is uh, the latest MCU movie directed by Taika Waititi. Chris Hemsworth for probably prizing his role also natalie portman coming back in the role of jane foster um 
Tessa Thompson's also in it. There's a whole bunch of people. Christian Bale playing Gore, the God Butcher, uh, the villain this time. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read a plot summary courtesy of IMDb. Once, uh, as uh, as you guys know, we're going to be doing a non-spoiler review and then a spoiler review. I'll play a clip from the trailer before we go into spoilers, but if you want to check the show notes for timestamps, you can check that out at obsessiveviewer.com slash OV375. So the plot summary for Thor Love and Thunder is... Thor enlists the help of Valkyrie, Korg, and ex-girlfriend Jane Foster to fight Gore the God Butcher, who intends to make the gods extinct. So, Tiny, Ben, what were your expectations going into Love and Thunder? And if you want to also throw in your, like, an overview of your thoughts on the first three Thor movies. Uh, Thor, Thor, The Dark World, and Thor Ragnarok. Um, yeah, so my expectations I had, I think I had about three questions going into this, um, cause I wasn't really worried so much about the plot or how it would fit into the MCU proper or any of that. Mostly wanted to know a, how it would look cause I, I feel like I'm, I have not heard anyone else say this before, but I feel like Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness looked like shit. <laughs> I I thought that it just looked awful. Um, and maybe it's because uh, we saw it at a press screening on a standard mm-hmm. definition screen. Maybe that was part of it, but I just thought it looked terrible. So I was really curious to see if this would be any better. Um, the other question I had was, um, how much Taika Waititi would I be able to stomach? Cause I'm generally a fan of his. Um, I liked Thor Ragnarok. Um, I, and even since then he has just exploded. Mm-hmm. Like loved, uh, Jojo rabbit. But even other than that, he's been in so much other stuff in front of and behind the camera. Like he was in Free Guy last year. Yeah. I haven't watched Our Flag Means Death yet, but from what I understand, that's very much his, you know, style and his brand of humor. Um, and then he's just in a ton of other stuff. Um, and my third question was uh, how they were going to be able to bring back uh, Natalie Portman. Because mm-hmm. I, I tried... Uh, this week before the press screening, I tried to watch all three of the Thor movies going into it, but I couldn't, I could, I got about halfway through the first move, Thor movie and it was just such a slog. I couldn't get through it. Um, and then just other things I just, I couldn't get around to it. Yeah. But I, before I started watching the first one, I literally could not remember a single thing from any of those first two Thor movies other than they had Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston and Natalie Portman was a scientist and that's Mm -hmm. about it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. So, um, and I, I think my initial reaction to Thor love and thunder was that I thought it was pretty fun. Uh, I, liked the stuff that Taika Waititi clearly brought to it. Um, it's, it's definitely funny. Uh, 
and has his sense of humor. So maybe if you're uh, less of a fan of his, you probably won't like it as much. But uh, there's there's definitely some issues uh, with it, which we'll get into some mm-hmm. some plot issues, some pa- uh, pacing issues, some uh, just general things. But uh, I'll I'll yield the microphone for now. <laughs> Nice. Uh, Tiny, your thoughts on the Thor franchise and your expectations for Love and Thunder, and, and what'd you think? Well, um, I don't have a particularly high opinion of the Thor franchise. Um, like Ben said, the first two are really forgettable. Um, I feel like Thor didn't really pop until the first Avengers movie, mm-hmm. and then he's been great ever since. Um, but you know, I the first two movies are so forgettable and and just not really all that good. They're not terrible. They're just not very good. Um, Ragnarok was fantastic. I think that's probably the best one of the individual Thor movies. Um, but you know, I, I feel like Thor did all his shining in the Avengers. Uh, the Avengers team up movies and everything. Um, I I had high expectations for Love and Thunder just because, like kind of like Ben was saying, Taika Waititi is just almost can do no wrong right now. He is one of the top, I mean, top directors in Hollywood probably, or like one of the hottest directors in Hollywood. I'll I'll probably put it that way. Um, and I'm a big fan. I I adore him. I think he's. Um, he he's really good at the whole comedy thing. He can really balance the jokes and the drama really masterfully. I mean, it's it, he's he's one of the best I've seen uh, at it. And the the drama is really dramatic, and the comedy is really funny. It's hilarious stuff. Um, and so that's just a big skill of his as a you know as a director and a writer. Um, so I, I, I had high expectations for that reason. And I think a lot of the post um the post endgame Marvel stuff has been pretty decent, but nothing's really blown me away. I mean yeah. WandaVision's maybe my favorite post endgame Marvel stuff so far. Um and that was pretty good. So I, I wanted this to top that. Um I'm also I've also become really attached to Thor as a character. Um I, I really love what they've done with him as a character. Because um, he's so uh, full of himself and over the top at the beginning, and he's just been humbled time after time after time, and he has to relearn who he is like every single time we see him, and it's really, uh, it's really tragic, and it's amazing that he's he really developed a sense of humor throughout the Avengers movies and everything, and it's my favorite thing about him. I, I just love it because you know you would expect him to be this unflinching badass and kind of uh toxic masculinity type of guy based on how he looks and what he does and his power and all that stuff but he's so funny and he's really disarming it's it's just crazy to see how his characters developed into that so um i was just looking forward to the further progression of that in in this movie that was those were kind of my expectations going in nice yeah so thor um, for me, I, I agree with, with what you guys said. Um, the first two Thor movies are not really that the first one is passable. 
Um, but the second one, The Dark World, was a just complete mess for me in terms of the, just the narr- the overall narrative. Villain was completely bland, a complete waste of uh, Christopher Eccleston. And that movie was just so... That, that movie kind of felt like it was just a piece of the Infinity Saga and like trying to just incorporate one of the infinity stones into the mix in a way that just wasn't that interesting. Um, but then Ragnarok Taika Waititi taking over reinventing, rebranding Thor as this, as this with this comedic take and having like a buddy movie with, with Bruce Banner and do like having this, this like, large scale like weird crazy adventure story that also has this brings the heat with the drama with like the destruction of asgard and all that that was fantastic like thor ragnarok is one of my favorite movies of the mcu for that reason um it is it was just such a breath of fresh air and tiny i agree with you that thor as a character has become something else entirely from what he was at the beginning he is like he like you said he's been humbled countless times but he has just this i think because chris hemsworth sells the comedy so well he's incredibly gifted at that um it it just works so it it works so well with with taika waititi's style um so because of all of that i was very excited for thor love and thunder and like i even remember seeing the first trailer and thinking man i wish that like i wish i could go back and i wish that i wish that the world could go back and taika waititi could do the first two thor movies in addition to ragnarok because he just gets (laughs) it um and so thor love and thunder having said all of that it pains me to say i didn't like this movie (laughs) uh the more i think about it the more agitated i get the more disappointed i am and the more the the more kind of fearful or nervous i am for phase four and beyond of the mcu um to kind of give some overall thoughts and then we can go into our non-spoiler discussion and everything. I felt like Thor love and thunder was a almost complete mess in terms of the plotting. Um, there are large character turns that are complete. Like it feels like a movie that was cut down significantly characters change into uh, different versions of the character within like with a, within a matter of scenes without any explanation and i i'll say this in non-spoiler for a like christian bale i thought did a fine job with what he was given but for a character called gore the god butcher there's not much god butchering <laughs> and by the end of the movie, I kind of like, I enjoyed the humor. I enjoyed the energy for the most part, but by the end of the movie, I was just thinking, Oh my God, I, I kind of know what they're doing with Thor, with, with the Marvel cinematic universe. Now I don't like how contrived all of this was for this movie. So I don't know. I, I have a lot of 
um, complicated feelings and angry feelings about this movie. And I'm very excited for us to hash it out and, and everything and me to be a uh, damper on the parade, maybe. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I have like, I came out of the theater thinking, yeah, it's a three star movie. That's fine. And then throughout, while thinking about it throughout the day, I was like, it's a 2.5 star movie. And it could be a two movie by the time I finish ranting throughout this episode. <laughs> um, yeah, I would go so far as to say I probably didn't like the movie. I didn't enjoy the movie as much as I thought I would. So, yeah. So what did we think about Thor Love and Thunder? <laughs> I think um, I think I, I definitely understand where you're coming from. From Matt, I think, because uh, there were times when I was watching it in the moment when I thought, like, wait, are they? This is what they're gonna do now, um, and like there, there's a a moment where, uh, I guess the plot kicks in and certain characters are put in danger. Mm-hmm. I'll say that to avoid spoilers, and then you think that you know, they're going to go in and bust in and go into action. And they don't. And they go on this, you know, 15, 20-minute detour, which is, I mean, the detour itself was fun and Mm -hmm. funny. But I... It it felt like a... I I don't know if I want to say a studio note, Hmm. but or not even really fan service, because the... Uh, the detour was really not all that fan servicey no. that I could tell, um, but it, it just felt unnecessary. Um, so I, I understand that. I think the only thing that kept it alive for me was that you know the detour was funny, and the the other parts where the script was lacking, uh, there were some great jokes and some really funny bits. Uh, and some decent character development that that saved it for me. Nice, yeah. Um, Tiny, what did you think? I guess I'm. I guess I'm gonna have to be the voice of positivity here. <laughs> um, no, I can't. I can't. Um, yeah, I I really liked it. I, I ended up giving it a uh, four star uh, rating on Letterboxd. Um, I I think I don't know if it's like bias or what yet, Dad. Um, and there's elements of that stuff like that in this movie, and that just spoke to me so personally that like I it like I couldn't not love it, I guess. And so that kind of affected my re- reaction to it. And so I think maybe my reaction slightly inflated for that reason. Um, it, and sorry. I'm just, again, I'm, I'm just thrilled with Thor lately, the character. Yeah. It bro- oh, sorry. It broke yeah. up a little bit there. What was the part that made you, that you liked a lot? Um, just the kind of the toying with fatherhood and gotcha. becoming a father. Um, you know, that, that stuff of, uh, um, really spoke to me and like I I don't know I just had a huge reaction to that and I think I can't not react to that stuff right now so maybe my 
reaction uh, and my rating are a little bit inflated for that reason. But um, I, I also just, again, Taika Waititi, his, his style just really speaks to me. The comedy uh, fused with the drama is just amazing the way he does that. And he's really, um, Chris Hemsworth has such a skill for that too. Yeah. And, and he, I just, I love the character so much that it's, it's hard to not love a movie he's in. Mm -hmm. um, I was kind of like Ben said, I was a little worried about um, incorporating Jane back into mm -hmm. the story as well. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not really the biggest um, Natalie Portman fan. I don't, I mean, mm -hmm. she's not a bad actress by any stretch, but I've just never, I've never been blown away by her ever. Um, I am the biggest Natalie Portman fan. <laughs> Honestly, my favorite performance of hers is uh, The Professional. Oh, yeah. Wow. I love that movie, and I think she's really good mm -hmm. in it. Uh, but that was 30 years ago. Um, but, yeah, anyways, I, I was worried about how they were going to do that. And I think I think you could make the argument that bringing her back in, bringing her back into this was a little clunky, um, mm -hmm. maybe more than a little clunky. Um, she was sort of shoehorned in, but... I, I think they kind of saved it and made it work. Um, and I ultimately enjoyed how that turned out. So, um, yeah, that was really good. And then, uh, you know, um, uh, Christian Bale as Gore the God Butcher, not, I'd say kind of a middle of the road um, villain, maybe even kind of a kind of on the good side villain as far as Marvel goes anyway, because we've had some real shitty villains. Yeah. Uh, um, the <laughs> Dark Elf and... Uh, a fucking robot or something in the first movie yeah i, I can't remember um yeah. hey i don't think i got to that point mm. when in this past week i mean gore was no he was no hella for sure like right he's i think she's the best out of the individual four movies for sure she was fantastic kate blanchett yeah. awesome I, I love that but um i i think maybe he's in a solid second place and uh uh, I think Christian Bale did fine. I think he was. Um, the stakes were pretty good with him being put into the movie. I I, I bought it, and I thought they were you know it was a good conflict <laughs> and uh, good stakes, if you will. So yeah, that's kind of my uh, wide reaction to it. Yeah. Uh, to to speak to the Natalie Portman of it all, mm -hmm. it's. I mean, there was just no way that they were going to be able to not shoehorn her in. I mean, after. Uh, not being in Ennio uh, since the second Thor movie, which was what, 2011 or something? Yeah. Um, there, there's just no way they were going to be able to bring her back without making it feel awkward or clunky. Um, but I, I liked her character development in this. I liked the way that uh, she had um, uh, her, her motivation for being the new the way that she uh she felt this need to have those powers um and and i thought she did a fine performance i thought she did fine the thing that and maybe this is just me the thing that i was distracted by was feels like or it looked like her makeup was done really heavily when she was in the thor costume i don't know if you guys picked mm. up on that but Definitely. it was <laughs> i don't know yeah and I, I feel like they had to do it 
ton of retconning to get her into the movie, and it was relatively smooth, but still, it, like, um, I think both of you mentioned, or at least Ben mentioned, like, pacing issues in the movie. That's, I'm sure, on a second rewatch, that's going to jump out a lot more to me, because I think there's more than a few uh, points in the movie that were like, okay, we need to get this going or get this moving. And it's only a two-hour movie, too. I think it's not, you know, credits. these Marvel movies have been pushing, pushing three hours, you know, so... Um, yeah, there's definitely issues with the movie, but uh, overall, did yeah. so. Yeah, Matt, what? Uh, Sorry, uh, I uh, just to reiterate what I was saying earlier. Like, I liked uh, the way that they framed the uh, bringing her back. They do this uh, this jokey like uh, clip reel kind of thing with uh, Taika Waititi uh, narrating it. Korg and I, I thought that was some of the funnier parts. Yes, and yeah, I, I yes, it it was clunky, but I liked the way that they stylistically did it. Yes, I loved that opening monologue and the closing monologue, or the uh, the kind of setting things up uh, with with Korg. That was that was great. Um, I I really like. Uh, I mean, I honestly don't necessarily think that Natalie Portman was shoehorned in. I think the problem was that her character is reintroduced in a way that is surprising and her motivation for uh, wanting to become Thor or not even that. That's not even what that's not even what happens. What happens is that Molnir speaks to her and draws her to it and then she becomes Thor. The problem is we get the introduction of her we the reintroduction of her the we see what her motivation is for for wanting to be be a god basically and then the next scene we see her see from her she is thor and like there is such a jump and i and i'm just sitting there thinking like what the hell is going on we have nothing and then there's a scene later where she's talking to valkyrie um because she's like she's she's stressed out and everything and then they have this conversation that feels like it feels like it is calling back or it is informed by a scene that they cut for time like it seems like they had a scene earlier in the movie maybe one that introduced the concept of jane foster as thor um and then they cut it to get it under two hours and then and then just figured, oh, well, it's fine. They'll have that history or whatever. They'll, it'll make sense. And it just doesn't for me. And the kind of, it just felt like so much of this movie was cut down. I don't understand why. I, I honestly don't. And it's so frustrating to me because the things that they seemingly cut down were Jane's, a very big, a very big part of Jane's arc, presumably. And Gore the God Butcher, his like, he we get his. It just it just felt so lacking of purpose, and the whole purpose of of Gore the Butcher, the God Butcher, is he wants to butcher gods, and we see the aftermath of one or two God butchering and everything, and then we get this whole thing that is. Uh, like a kidnapping kind of thing and 
that's fine. But also it just it it didn't give me any kind of it didn't like as much as I enjoyed Christian Bale kind of not really hamming it up, but kind of going to some surprising places um, with just the kind of energy he brought. As much as I enjoyed that, I didn't enjoy him as a villain or like that character because I felt like so much of this movie felt so cut down and just it did not have that that kind of cohesion that it it felt just so just so lifeless to me and it it bothered me so much and we'll talk in spoilers but the the ending like where it ends with Thor in particular I was angry like I I was angry about that and we'll talk about that in spoilers but I just I was just so annoyed with this movie um yeah yeah um I feel like that um the whole part that you're talking about Jane becoming Thor um we did have the scene where she goes and looks at Mjolnir and you know it it starts to it basically implies that you know um it starts to do something around her and it's kind of mm-hmm. subtle and we do get that scene but then you're right the next scene is Thor um I guess that just didn't bother me. Um, I, again, I don't think you're wrong, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think uh, I think it would have been cool to see her become Thor, like see the hammer mm-hmm. come back together and like force its way into her hand or something. Or um, I don't know. I think it would have been cool if like the display they had at New Asgard was like. Molnir, like anyone could just go up and try to pick it up. You know, that's kind mm-hmm. of the thing. Almost like a sword in the stone kind of thing. Yeah. I think that would have been cool. Something like that. Um, yeah. But, you know, I there's definitely a solid uh, criticism of it. I think I think we could have had something uh, to to bring that together. Um, and I do, I do agree with you, Matt, that it did feel like there was some interesting editing choices, like mm-hmm. content Content wise, not not like stylistic editing, but like content editing. I think we could have used some more God butchering, like you said, because yeah. you know, pretty um the the um backstory for Gore is set up really well at the beginning of the movie, and that's that was a cool scene. I liked it; it was well done. Um, and then we just kind of find him later on, and we didn't really mm-hmm. get it's all in the background, um, like you were saying. But they they definitely could have improved on that. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I'll talk about the prologue or the the origin and everything. But Ben, did you have thoughts on that? Um, uh, what was I gonna say? Um, not really related to any of what you guys were saying, but I think what uh, elevates this one for me above more recent is four, six, whatever we're in now. Mm-hmm. Um, what elevates it is there really weren't any like bullshit fan service moments uh, like what you got in like <clears throat> in uh, Doctor Strange or sorry to say this, but Spider-Man No Way Home. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry if that, 
that'll get me perma banned from the show, but I really did not like <laughs> Spider-Man No Way Home wow. um, because of those bullshit fan service moments. Um, but yeah, I, uh, Thor Ragnarok really, or sorry, uh, Thor Love and Thunder really didn't have those for me, for what I could tell. It didn't it really felt like a closed off Thor movie. Um, there weren't, there wasn't some moment or scene where uh, it feels like they're trying to set something up for the rest of phase four. Um, and I, I appreciate that that uh, goes a long way for me. Yeah. So uh, I, I will push back on the fan service thing. Like, I mean, that's, that's totally fine about, you know, multiverse of madness and and spider-man no way home i didn't feel like those were fan servicey in in my opinion but to each their own but i think the second scene in this like the the second time uh okay so <laughs> uh there are two scenes involving the asgard like play like um uh, ask asgard theater people that were such a hit in ragnarok because they're doing like the backstory for thor the dark world and here that felt that felt like the it felt like pandering honestly it felt like it felt like it was great to see them again that was it was a fun gag but it felt like disney or marvel or whoever was like, hey, Taika, that scene really killed in Ragnarok. Let's do more of that because that's what the, our marketing research and everything says. That's what was memefied and everything. So let's let's include two scenes. Like, they only needed one of those scenes. And it didn't need to be the play thing because we already had the backstory given to us from, uh, from, from Korg. And... The backstory, like in like it, that, was just for fan service, and that just that bothered me too. Um, and on that same, See, oh, go ahead, sorry. No, 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 go ahead. Oh, I was gonna thought. Uh, no, uh, no, I was gonna bring up another fan servicey thing. So I'll 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 rant about that after <laughs> you make your point. <laughs> no, I I had completely forgotten that that uh, the play scene was in Ragnarok um, oh yeah as well um but what I guess what I mean by fan service is like teasing you know like the the Illuminati scene from mm -hmm. Multiverse of Madness that was fan service I can I, and, yeah and to back me up Sam Raimi said the same thing mm -hmm. said that's why that's in there so, yeah that's, fair. that's what I meant by fan service. And that's <clears throat> that's totally fair. That's totally fair. But I think that that informed... And I don't think Tiny's seen Multiverse of Menace yet, so I'm going to dance around it. But I kind of feel like that at least played... While fan service as it may have been, it did play into, into giving more context or giving more more texture to the villain of the movie. I'll just leave it at that. But But... You're right. It is definitely fan servicey. <laughs> um, the 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 play scene in Love and Thunder is padding out the 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 new Asgard and the 
the way that they have built this society now. Because it's it's part of that montage where you're kind of introduced to uh, how things are going there now. Yeah, that's fair. That's that's fair. I still didn't like it because it felt like an algorithm kind of thing or it felt like a studio note that they wanted more of that. But the other the other arguably bigger piece of fan service for me that didn't bother me quite as much. It didn't it didn't really bother me all that much. In fact, uh, I'll go ahead and say it was the Guardians of the Galaxy sequence at the beginning. And like when I was trying to formulate my thoughts on the movie and really like was starting to realize like I wasn't that big a fan of this movie. I kept thinking like, you know, that little Guardians of the Galaxy volume three teaser we got in the middle <laughs> instead of the backstory or instead of character arcs for the villain or the co-lead um, was fun. <laughs> And it was fun, but it also See, just felt, I, yeah. I I was just glad that uh, they were not in the movie more because I kind of mm-hmm. had a feeling that they would be uh, just based on the trailers. Yeah, I, I kind of did Yeah, fortunately, I thought those scenes were fun. At least, you know, and maybe they didn't yeah. serve the, the story overall all that well, but they were fun. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, But it also just felt like checking checking off a box. And I just, I don't know. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Any thoughts on that, Tiny? Um, I guess... The fan only fan service I can really think of is that you know I did just the whole idea of bringing back Jane I guess and making her Thor. That's mm-hmm. kind kind of fan servicey or kind of pandering in a way I guess. Um, it doesn't it doesn't bother me because I think it fits well in the story and I liked it a lot. But um, I, I guess I wasn't really looking for it. And and as a frame of reference, I haven't seen uh, um. Multiverse of Madness yet, so I, I haven't. I can't really comment on that fan service. Um, but I mean, it's it's something that. Um, um, oh gosh, it's killing me. The uh, the brothers who directed the uh, Avengers movie, oh, the Russo so brothers, brothers. Yeah. Russo yeah. brothers, pander like crazy, and and it's it's fine because again, it fits, or it's I, I, it doesn't bother me because it fits. But it it jumps out as well. Like it's not it's not it's not subtle at all. It's blatant blatant pandering. And so anything that was fan service in this movie felt subtle to me and felt nuanced enough that it didn't bother me. I'll put it that way. Hmm. Yeah, I, I can yeah. see that. Yeah. Um just thinking, thinking back to, I think it's the first Infinity. Oh gosh, um, um, Avengers: Infinity War. Mm-hmm. Jesus, why can't I remember the name of the movie? <laughs> um, where uh, all the all the women like team up, yeah. like um, yeah, the, the, one of the characters like, oh, she's not, she's not alone, and then all all the female heroes team up, like. That was so yes. hammy. I yeah, mean, it was cool. 
it was cool, and I think it's cool that it's in the movie, and I support that idea. It's just that that was hammy as hell. That's so I think back yeah. and thinking to what they did with this, way better crafted in my book. Yeah. yeah, I I agree with you there. That that's a good point. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Ben, any thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I, it, end game to me was just like 90% fan service, mm-hmm. but it worked there because it was a culmination of, you know, 25, 26, whatever, yeah. 22 movies that came before it. So there it's more or less excusable. Um, and yeah, here, uh, here I it didn't annoy me as much as it has in other movies. Spider Man No Way Home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I. I don't know. Can, can I? Can I just transition to my my issues with the kind of prologue and the overall tone of the movie? Um. Yeah. Go for it, bud. Please. Okay. So I I respect Taika Waititi. Um I loved Ragnarok. I really really did. What I don't understand is why this movie is so ass backwards in its tone. Like it's it's so strange to me that we have a villain called like i said gore the god butcher and like the god butchering we get like it's a little bit but uh, like we get like uh, the big one is you know off screen and we see the aftermath and it's weird but my my kind of big issue though is like the movie opens with this prologue of him wandering the desert and spoiler alert for the prologue his daughter dies and then he kind of stumbles into like a god realm and speaks to a god and it's so weirdly heightened for comedy like the god's reactions to him and the the kind of playful attitude that he has is very just incongruous with the kind of drama of this man that just lost his daughter and is now being kind of spat on by the God he worships and everything, which I guess is the point to have that inconsistency in tone. And I guess that is the point of having the kind of comedic spin on it. But when the necro sword just like comes to him, it just feels, it feels once again, it feels like the movie is rushing to something. It's the same with like Natalie Portman becoming Thor. It's the same with gore, like being the god butcher after you know we don't see him until then or whatever it's the same with the thing that happens with thor at the end of the movie which i'll talk about in spoilers it's all it all feels so weirdly inconsistent in the tone and unearned for the most part for me and to leap leapfrog off of that the inconsistency of tone, which I think is a Taika Waititi problem. I don't think he know he he. I don't think he knew, or maybe he didn't care to, uh, really dive into anything too deep with this. But this movie has some deep themes, but he doesn't 
the wackiness and comedy aspect of it kind of trumps anything that he can do with the drama and i just it created this void in me that like i had no emotional stakes in this and to ben your point about the detour that happens uh kind of in the middle portion of the movie that felt just so superfluous so meaningless it is like the main goal for that is switched over mid-scene to where they're like okay well this plan isn't going to work so we need to do this for no other reason than oh there's a cool thing that we can do with it like we need this for reasons that aren't explained which i'll talk more in spoilers i guess and then also just the tone of the like gods that they're talking to in that scene is so weird and just wacky and it's taika waititi going full taika waititi without doing like anything really you know emotionally like having any emotional gravitas to the drama so i don't know this i like the more that i'm talking about it like i can feel myself ramping up in anger (laughs) and annoyance and i know that i'm bogarting the podcast but i really i don't think i liked this movie um yeah uh, what did you guys think of all of that crap that i just spewed (laughs) i think that's valid i mean the the scenes where it has both the comedy and the drama where it tries to do both at the same time maybe doesn't work uh it, it didn't make me as angry as you Matt but yeah i would not disagree with you that it doesn't work as well as they wanted to um the scene where it the scenes where they stick to the drama exclusively i think work rather well uh the scenes between um chris hemsworth and natalie portman um in particular those work pretty well um but yeah i i can i definitely agree that it felt like there was something missing which is weird because marvel movies never uh if if anything they're too long more often than not yeah um <clears throat> maybe Taika Waititi just doesn't want to do long movies i don't know mm. um but yes uh it would have been great because yeah i i agree the introduction of uh gore was pretty great and you uh you understand why he flips the switch and goes crazy um would it have been nice to have a couple more scenes with him and his, uh, quest? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Christian Bale just does such a good job that, uh, wouldn't say that it's excuse, but it's a little more understandable. Sure. Tiny. Man, that's, that's really a bummer. I um I kind of had the opposite reaction. I, I think um I think the the opening scene where the um the god I don't even remember what the god's name was or what its relevance was, but um his, his I think his kind of I wouldn't refer to him as a comedic character. I think he's just so aloof and nonchalant that I don't I don't know that it clashed with drama of what just happened 
as much for me. I, I, I didn't, that didn't throw me. It really didn't throw me. And I'd also think it's critical for the transformation of Gore because, you know, the, the indignation that he's suffering as a result of that God's attitude, um, it transforms him, right? And, and I think yeah. it transforms him so strongly that the sword presents itself to him because it can sense it in him just like Olnir can sense the worthiness of Jane Foster or Thor. Um, I, I think that kind of tracks for me. Um, and, you know, I, I said earlier, I, 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 I have the opposite reaction that you guys did with, with the way that Taika Waititi blends comedy with drama. I, I do think sometimes he tends to uh, be a little heavy on the comedy. Hmm. I think yeah. someone who's maybe better at it or has done it better is uh, Joss Whedon. I mean, he's he's canceled now, but um, you know what? That's kind of the tone he set with the Avenger, the first Avengers movie, is the ability to blend those two things, and I think yeah. he did that beautifully. And and Taika Waititi has kind of taken up the mantle with the Russo brothers, um, uh, Shane Black did it well as well in the Iron Man 3 and stuff like that. But um, I, I just, I, I think, I think Taika Waititi's really, really skilled that I, I think he does a good job. Um, mm-hmm. But I, you know, sometimes the comedy can get a little heavy. I, I will say that. And it can undercut the, I think at, I think at his heart, he is a, he is a comedic oh, yeah. person or that yeah. that's where his art really shines is in the comedy. And so I think he emphasize overemphasizes it sometimes. But I will say that, and I think he, I think that, and in this movie more than his other ones, especially like Jojo Rabbit, like he mm-hmm. did such a good job with that movie, balancing those two things yeah. uh, masterfully. But in this movie, I, I will say the comedy did kind of overrun a few times. Yeah, I think the uh, the whole goat bit. Uh, the screaming goats uh, really uh, didn't. Uh, it, it, there was a diminishing returns uh, as the movie went on, and he just yeah. kept going back to it. Sure. And it's it's a bit that's what about ten years too late. Um, and yeah, I mean, be, before we go into spoilers, uh, I guess you guys are both on the record as liking Jojo Rabbit because I feel mm-hmm. like that's his best work of blending comedy and drama i mean i i haven't really seen his earlier stuff like hunt for the wilder people but yeah me neither um i i really like jojo rabbit too me too oh yeah yeah um yeah yeah i oh can do you guys want to go into spoilers for thor love and thunder uh real quick do you guys think that only Taika Waititi should be allowed to make Thor movies from now on. No, I think they should probably give it to someone else. Honestly, <laughs> uh, I yeah, this just left such a sour taste in my mouth. I don't know why. I don't know why it ended up the way it did, especially after Ragnarok. But it just, it really feels like he he just wasn't as into it, and I feel like that really showed. I feel obviously I don't feel like he can be the only one to make Thor movies. I think that's silly. And MCU has a history of rotating directors. You know, they get a movie or two or maybe three. Um, that's that's kind of the shtick of the uh, 
MCU. So um, yeah, I, I think he's I think he's made his impact. I think he's uh, he's he's shot his shot, if you will, as the kids say. Um, yeah. I, I think he's succeeded, you know. And he's done enough. So, I mean, if he wants to make a third one, you know, go, go for it. I'm, I'm, I'm in favor of that. But I think it'd be cool to see someone else come in too, and then do another Thor movie. Yeah. Do wonder if the general reaction is going to be kind of similar to yours, Matt, of people who have just kind of gotten tired of Taika Waititi and his shtick. Uh, because, like I said, he's been he's been everywhere the last couple of years, and um, I, I wonder if they will start to kind of get tired of that. It's going to be interesting to see when, when this comes out. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Do you guys want to go into spoilers now? <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. All right. We're going to go into spoilers for Thor love and thunder. Um, if you want to skip over it, check the show notes for timestamps. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go ahead and play a clip from the trailer. Uh, when we come back, spoilers on for Thor Love and Thunder. Kids, get to popcorn now. Let me tell you the story of the space viking, Thor Odinson. He was no ordinary man. He was a god. After saving planet Earth for the 500th time, Thor set off on a new journey. Well, he got in shape. He went from dad bod to god bod. And after all that, he reclaimed his title as the one and only Thor. Oh, spoke too soon. Jane? Okay, so spoilers on for Thor, Love and Thunder. Uh, where would you guys like to begin with our spoiler discussion on this movie? Guess the the bit with the kids... Yes, I I think that that's uh, that was the point where I kind of started to question like, wait, this is what they're going to be doing now. So this is their motivation. Yeah. And not not that it's a bad motivation. Like you should uh, you should rescue kids if they're in danger. It's the official uh, position of the Obsessive Viewer podcast that if kids are kidnapped, maybe, you should rescue unless them. Unless you're in Texas or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jesus. Don't wait an hour. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that felt... It really felt like the movie introduces this concept of this villain that wants to destroy all the gods um, and then realized, oh, wait, we're we're you know maybe since it's disney let's do something a little fluffier so let's just steal some kids and have that take up a large portion of the movie is is getting them back and that's the soul like it felt like that was like a cut and paste from like actual like gore the god butcher storyline to like the actual motivation like it just felt like it was replacing something that for whatever reason, didn't work in their eyes that in my estimation would have worked a little bit better. Probably. Um, it was just, it felt very just perfunctory. Um, and then even with like, Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, even with like when they had like the, the, uh, force ghost thing, (laughs) like the kind of like, um, 
meditative thing or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Just like that, like that also felt like very just coincidental and not very well thought out because like it's it's just like oh that's that's Heimdall's son oh he doesn't know how to do his his eyes yet or whatever but he does have the power of the Bifrost so uh let's let's you know we can communicate with him there it's like okay that's just that is so such whiplash for me because I don't remember if he was in Thor the Dark World I don't remember if it's been stated that Heimdall had a son but at least introduce him earlier in the movie instead of introduce instead of just showing like this force projection thing and having to tell us like oh that's that's Heimdall's son and like just slowing down the movie to explain like who this character is it just it felt so haphazard to me and and so frustrating um I think I agree with the whole force ghost thing that was goofy and I wasn't really a fan um and it came out of nowhere like have they, have they always been able to do that? Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. That was odd. But I completely disagree with kidnapping the kids because mm. I think we find out later on that um, Gore did that because he had to lure Gore away because he needed Stormbreaker to operate the Bifrost to get to Eternity. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why he took the kids. And, you know, he took the kids because he wanted to get him away from New Asgard so that he could kind of isolate him in his own realm make it easier to fight him and get stormbreaker away from him yeah i mean i i get it uh especially even like in the moment because i don't think he like set out to do that i think he just did it because his first plan failed and then he had no other options so he just you know found these kids i just uh my my first reaction during that first fight um in new asgard uh, at night was that it was super weird that uh it was just all these random people just fighting these monsters yeah but then then i realized that they were you know people from asgard and it was a little more understandable it was just kind of weird yeah um, yeah i've forgotten that the part involving the kids that kind of bothered me was at the climax where Thor just like gives them his power. I was like, he can do that. How did yeah. he not? Why didn't he give Parker his power? Like, why didn't he give uh, Hawkeye his power? Can you imagine literal right. lightning bolt arrows being <laughs> shot by Hawkeye? That's so cool. Oh, that would be so cool. Lightning. That's amazing. How is that? How is this just coming out of nowhere right now? So In, that bothered me on a, yeah. on a like conceptual. Well, in the movie's defense, I will say, like, it was a temporary thing, I guess. But also, that kind of disturbed me or bothered me a a little bit because I was just like, so, okay, so he doesn't have an army. He has to fight this fight this guy. So let's let's give these kids that have no training, like superpowers (laughs) to fight off this villain using like just sudden like sudden appearance of weapons that are just laying about and one like teddy bear and like i'm just like he's he's putting these kids in harms like what the okay fine i i fully expected him in that moment to just be like okay you guys go over there now and i can do this because like yeah especially early on it sets him up to be this ultra badass who can you know defeat an entire army by himself Mm -hmm. and these 
creatures are just these, you know, generic CGI creatures. So uh, I, I, they didn't seem all that threatening to me. It, it could have been avoided for sure. Yeah. I, I think uh, kind of like what I was talking about in non-spoilers moment right after those kids get kidnapped, they go to this, uh, what I, I forget the name of the planet, uh, but the, ob- the Zeus planet, City. we'll say it. Right. Yes. Yeah. And spend, you know, 15, 20 minutes there. Oh my fucking God. Yes. A, just to get a MacGuffin. And I mean, I liked, I liked Russell Crowe in that moment. Mm-hmm. I thought he was funny. I guess I, maybe someone else could have done it, but, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I don't know. It, it felt like a waste of time. It, it, it did feel like a waste of time for and, me. It wasn't even some, you know, Illuminati-esque bit of fan service. They could have... I mean, I'm glad that it wasn't, but... um, Yeah. It was was something that just felt so disconnected. Like, the moment that Zeus appears and... It it does that fun little subversion of it. Like, oh, he's he's not... he's, He's not like the hero that everyone expects him to be and everything that's fun that's cute part of me thinks that the aloofness and the the grandiose attitudes of all the gods in this movie makes makes me think that we're supposed to sympathize with gore's whole thing like maybe all gods do need to die like okay sure um but that whole sequence made me so angry because it like you said ben it is for a macguffin and like we don't have there's no there's no context for like why the the thunderbolt of zeus is more powerful or why it's needed for that and you get this just really just dumb conflict honestly dumb conflict that doesn't really go anywhere just to get the macguffin Um, I was talking to, uh, some of our colleagues from the IFJ and they said like, why not make, why not? Like that would have been the perfect part to have Gore, the God butcher come and butcher all the gods. Like, why not do that? Uh, and then it ends with Thor killing Zeus, presumably until the mid credits. And I'm just like, Mm. okay, like, and no one cares about that. It just, I just, I, it felt so annoying to me. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry to be such a wet blanket, but God damn this movie. (laughs) I, uh, I agree. It was a weird bus stop in the movie. Um, I think he was going for like, oh, the people are going to crack up at this. It's going to be so funny. Russell Crowe is going to be Zeus. And I mean, it was kind of funny, you know, it it was. Right. There, was some, there was some comedy there. It looked really cool, uh, the design, but that's about it. That's about all I liked. That there was some solid comedy in there, but ultimately it was a big drag on the pacing of the movie and just mm-hmm. not a great idea, really. I yeah, I, mm-hmm. I wasn't a fan. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It just in like that that uh having the having korg be like was it there yeah it was there that he was like destroyed but oh his face is alive so it's fine 
Um, And then later, which is, I will say, we'll talk about this in a bit, but um, the kind of monochrome, like void of color, black and white sequence, that looked incredible. I loved that. I thought that was so cool. But then also like, okay, Valkyrie gets injured and then she's sent away. um, And like, she's out of the movie, the rest of the movie. And it just felt so... It just felt so backhanded or so undeveloped, like just, okay, well, this major character got very seriously injured. Oh, let's throw her away. It's fine. Um, And I don't know. We haven't even talked about Jane's cancer. God damn it. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Talk about shoehorned Valkyrie. Very shoehorned in her movie and felt like it. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, uh, and I, I feel like, uh, people online were speculating like instead of Thor and Jane ending up together at the end of this, it would be Thor or it would be Jane and Valkyrie together. Mm. Um, and you kind of get a hint of that. Maybe that might happen at one point, but, uh, it's never, never really expanded upon. Yeah. And like that scene after Jane kind of breaks the sink and everything and, and we're kind of clued into the to the, <laughs> we're kind of clued into the whole um, the whole fact that I just made this connection just now and I'm I'm even more annoyed with it. But that they just basically did the same thing to Jane that they did to Tony in Iron Man 2. Like, oh, the thing that's helping you, that's keeping you alive, is actually killing you. God damn it. Anyway. Um, See, and, and I didn't I didn't even get that until they said it. Because like, it's not there. It's not there until they say it in the third act of the fucking movie. Right. Like, it's just, it suddenly comes up. And I'm like, okay, fine. Yeah. Uh, fine. Whatever. Because we don't even see, like, we see her open the book that, because Molnir is, like, trying to, like, goad her into getting, coming to it. Like, we see her open the book and says, like, oh, it can, it can heal you, or not even heal you, it's uh, great health or whatever. And then the next scene, she's fucking Thor. I'm just like, ah! Develop the characters, like, spend some time with them. Instead, we get this very long running gag of, of Stormbreaker being jealous of Thor, and I'm like, God damn, like, that's that's an inanimate object. Develop the actual <laughs> sentient characters. You gave one of them cancer. Like, let them develop in the movie. <sighs> I'm sorry. <laughs> non-specific cancer. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. That's true, yeah. Generic cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I do not to uh, not to change directions too quickly, but I do mm-hmm. kind of want to get your guys' thoughts on just how you thought the movie looked overall. Because, like I said, uh, Multiverse of Madness, I thought looked like shit. Mm-hmm. Um, just it didn't. It never looked like anyone in that movie stepped outside of a soundstage the entire time. <laughs> and maybe it was a little bit different. Maybe it was a little bit of the same thing this time. Like maybe the only outside stuff was um, like the new Asgard kind of stuff uh, and nothing else. But I and 
maybe it's because we saw this in IMAX and we saw Doctor Strange in standard def. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel like this looked so much better than Doctor Strange. Um, and especially, yeah, the, the black and white planet. I thought that was really cool and just something yeah. that we've never seen before visually in an MCU movie. Yeah. Tiny, what do you think of the visuals in this movie? They worked for me. I thought they were pretty tops, you know, compared to other, especially compared to other MCU movies. I thought it was, I thought it was great. Um, I, again, haven't seen Multiverse of Madness, so I don't have a frame of reference for that. But, uh, I, you know, that I think the effects are so good now that I don't even really notice them more, especially in a movie like this. Um, so it didn't jump out to me either way, I guess I'll say, but I, it, in my opinion, it was pretty good. Yeah. So there's this thing that I wasn't aware of until, uh, until I was talking about this movie, uh, with some people from the IFJ, um, the volume, um, mm-hmm. quick Google. Cause I didn't know about it, but the volume also known as stagecraft allows filmmakers to shoot lifelike indoor and outdoor sequences in a 3d stage environment within, within an indoor studio. And yeah, I loved the, uh, black and white thing, but like seeing like, like learning, like learning tangentially about this volume thing or whatever, it just feels like this, coliseum effect that is like like the big zeus scene is like ever like they're in the circular room and it just feels so similar to things we've seen in even back to like the star wars prequels like it just feels like so it's supposed to be grandiose but it's just like it feels like it's just completely generated it doesn't feel like a real place and it just I yeah, it didn't bother me as much as many other things in this movie bothered me, but it was something that was kind of noticeable that uh when we did get that interesting black and white section, I I rejoiced at the uniqueness of it. That scene, the the Zeus scene, I feel like benefited a lot from seeing it in IMAX. Mhm. Yeah, yeah, it was cool seeing it in IMAX. Yeah. Um, can we talk about the fatherhood aspect? And do you mind if I rant for a second and then you guys can discuss it? Okay. Okay. So. So this movie has the like throughout the entire movie, Thor is lonely. It's presented as him being lonely for the uh like the it's kind of presented as him being lonely for the for love and like the affection that he had with uh with Jane and then the movie ends with <sighs> with gore making it to eternity and he's standing there he has one wish and the wish that is made, the thing, like, it just felt so unearned and so random and weird. It made no goddamn sense to me was that, oh, hey, uh, 
you know, Thor's like, you know, you can bring your daughter back. And he's like, okay. And so he brings his daughter back. And then he's like, wait, I'm dying. And then Thor's like, oh, I'll raise your daughter. It just felt so... Here's the thing. Marvel in Phase 4, it really seems like they are setting up a new Avengers or young Avengers thing. Black Widow had Florence Pugh's character. Hawkeye has Kate Bishop. Um, Multiverse of Madness has um, America, uh, the character. Um, we've got Miss Marvel. We've got we've got all. Uh, she Hulk is is a new character that's coming out and everything. We have all of these uh, like young characters. What was that? Uh, sorry, uh, the the next Black Panther movie is going to introduce a character named Ironheart. Oh, I know okay. About, but I know she's yeah, kind of similar to that. Nice, yeah. So it's clear that they're doing something, they're building toward that being a team-up kind of thing. In in most, if not all, of those, those uh, scenarios and those examples seem organic. Here, it's lit, like Thor just suddenly ends up having a kid. And I'm just like, I, I can't wrap my brain around it. And, um... Uh, our friend from the IFJ, Allie, posted on her letterboxed, and she said something that kind of blew my mind. She she ranted against this movie, um, but she said, uh, I, I don't have time to bring it up, but she said something to the effect of why did they, in slight spoilers for Loki, but kid Loki is right there. Why not give him kid Loki as his kid companion like that would have been that would have been that would have made so much more sense than having this random it just it made no goddamn sense to me it felt so contrived and then by the end of the movie like like the next like the kind of denouement of the movie is like oh we're gonna go raise some hell and everything and you've got godlike powers and everything and jane's dead but you've got godlike powers i'm like whatever fine cool yeah do whatever i it just doesn't it felt like such a mess it felt like they had no idea how to get from point a to point b with point b being thor has a kid and point a being ragnarok was was awesome do that again taika um (laughs) so yeah so what did you guys think of all of this and and again i feel like i should apologize (laughs) um i I, uh, again, was definitely not as mad as you, Matt. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I see where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. I feel like as a parent, uh, if I knew that I was dying and I had a chance to bring my kid back and live again, just even if uh, I was not around, I would a hundred percent do that um it, it makes sense as a parent from one parent to another um the thing that i mean <clears throat> they definitely set up that the sword is corrupting him and making him crazy it did not really set up the fact that it's killing him mm-hmm. uh, unless i'm mistaken on that well no 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 what it did was Again, it's kind of similar to the Molnir thing with with Jane. 
Um, and this was another thing that just made me kind of roll my eyes a little bit. But at one point when Thor is going after Gore and he's about to, like, he's going for the final battle, like, there is literally, like, a throwaway line. I think Valkyrie or someone else says, if you destroy his sword, he'll die within minutes. He'll be dead because it's, mm-hmm. it's what's corrupting him. So it's like, okay, so we've got the MacGuffin. We've got to take down this object. We, and, and that's going to be, like, okay, fine, whatever. Right. Yeah, so I, I don't I know. do remember that now, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean... Give me more than one line about that, about yeah. how he is dying. Yeah. There was another line about how the sword decays whoever holds it until they eventually die. There sure. Yeah. It, it, that was, that wasn't clear, <laughs> though. It <laughs> wasn't clear, though, if they if it decays them mentally or physically or both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I'll say the the whole point with uh, kid kid Loki. That's an interesting idea. I hadn't mm-hmm. thought about that. That would have been cool. Um, but yeah, it's funny. I just man, I had the exact opposite reaction to it. I I thought it made so much sense. Um, I think it was, you know, I, I can see how you might see see that final scene where Thor tells him you can bring her back, and he does as kind of convenient or I, I don't know just. Didn't like it, but I I thought it made sense because what's the only the only way he could emotionally appeal to Gore to do anything other than kill all the gods in that moment is uh, to the core of what turned him into that, and it's the death of his daughter. And it's like you can reverse that, you can make it right. Mm-hmm. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Actually, I thought it was perfect. Um, yeah. And I will I will give you that it's a bit of a stretch that he just kind of becomes her de facto father or her adopted father. That's mm. maybe a bit of a stretch, but it was hinted at more than once in the movie that Thor was having, you know, a uh, uh, eternal drive uh, throughout the movie. You know, it was something that he's been thinking about. Um, I think that made sense. Uh, to, to an, it's, it's, it's more of a stretch, I will say that. Um, but... You know, I guess I guess just on a emotional level, I it just like really hit me at my core, and uh, it may have brought me tears uh, nice. at the end. Like the fi- the final scene, like really got me. Um, and you know, that's <laughs> it was a personal reaction, so yeah. I will say that. Um, but yeah, it, it it made sense for me, and I I, I wasn't bothered by it. It was kind of quick, I will say. Um, you know, I, I the end. I guess the, the the occurrence of events was kind of quick at the end there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I I just loved it. And that's that's awesome. <laughs> like I, I'm I'm <laughs> so, like, and I don't mean this in any in any kind of backhanded way. Like I'm genuinely happy that that connected with with you guys. Like I'm that's that's great i just i yeah uh i'm i'm happy for you guys <laughs> if you were dying and you could bring back pizza to live on <laughs> even without you i have long said in <laughs> and, and this is <laughs> well here's the thing about that i've long said and it's it's now going to be recorded uh when i go 
pizza's coming with me. She's going to be stuffed. She's going to be <laughs> in my casket on my, on my chest. So uh, when I die, kill pizza and, and bury her with me. <laughs> I'm sure she'll kill herself because oh. she can't live without you. The more the more realistic thing is that she's the one that kills me. <laughs> but you know, um, do we have anything uh, anything else to talk about with Thor: Love and Thunder? Because I do still want to talk about Hustle. Uh, we can do a brief review of that. Um, what else do we want to say about Thor: Love and Thunder in spoilers? Do you want to talk um, about I... Jane? Sorry. <laughs> Jane having cancer. And can we talk about the uh, mid and post credit scenes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because maybe this is, this will be my soapbox. Mm-hmm. I feel like Marvel just needs to kill the mid credit scenes. Yes. Like, at least the last two, maybe three, four uh, uh, MCU movies. The post credit scenes haven't been all that bad. They've just been nothing. The mid credit scenes, I feel like, have just become ways to set up characters or situations yeah. or shit that won't get paid off for another, yeah. you know, eight movies four yeah. years from now or something. I don't know. Like, yeah, the, I, don't, it, I don't disagree with that. No. Here, yeah. the the post credit scene, it's it's nothing. I mean, no. it's nothing to complain about. It's fine. Um, yeah. But the mid credit scene, like, don't need that. No, I I agree. Well, here's, I really wish that, like, what they I wish that what they did with Spider Man No Way Home was standard for all of it because at the end at the post post credit scene for spider-man no way home it's a teaser for dr strange in the multiverse of madness like i'm okay with them keeping mid-credit stingers if it's something that is like like they could have done they could have had they could have had um the post credit scene here with heimdall and Natalie Portman, which also that was spoiled by the sort of spoiled by the by the cast list because you saw I saw Idris Elba in the the cast list. I kind of thought that that was just like a brief flashback. Yeah, I I was trying to think like, what? Okay, yeah. Um, But like have that be the mid credit scene and then have like the post credit scene be a teaser for Ms. Marvel or She-Hulk or whatever the next Marvel movie is like, why not do that? Um, yeah, but it, cause it just, it doesn't really. Yeah. And I mean, as, as cool as it is that they've got Brett Goldstein, mm-hmm. um, to play Hercules. I don't care about any of that. Like yeah. Thor is like, Oh, now Zeus and all of the gods are going to come after me. It's like, okay, that's setting up the next one. Like I, I don't really care. Honestly, yeah, I just and, don't care. And when's it going to pay off? Yeah. Like oh yeah. 2024 on Disney plus. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Good point. Yeah. I, I did not care at all about the Hercules thing either. Yeah. I was just like, yeah, whatever. I, yeah, I don't know. And yeah. not to spoil the, uh, Dr. Strange ones, but they're kind of the same deal. The the yeah. post credits one in that one is fantastic, mm-hmm. but mid credit scene is the same kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah, and it just doesn't. 
Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. It's fine. Yeah, it's whatever. Um, all right. Have have we sufficiently talked out Thor: Love and Thunder? Yep. Sure. All right. Well, that's our review of Thor: Love and Thunder, and then now we're going to kind of close out with um, a probably brief review of Hustle, which is currently on Netflix. By the way, Thor: Love and Thunder is in theaters, and it's going to be on Disney Plus here in probably a couple of months. Um, but probably Labor Day. Oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and yeah, so uh, also if you want to hear my immediate thoughts on it. Uh, check out Patreon, patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. I do immediate reaction reviews of movies that I see all, like on the way home from the theater. So uh, as soon as the embargo lifts on Thor Love and Thunder, I will post that on Patreon. Uh, so yeah. Um, so now let's switch gears and talk kind of briefly. I We don't need to really do a spoiler thing So uh, for this, um, but Hustle, the new uh, Happy Madison movie starring Adam Sandler, um, I'm going to go ahead and play a clip from the trailer and then I'll say the plot summary and then we'll go into our uh, discussion of Hustle. So here we go. I'm Stanley Sugarman. I'm a scout for the 76ers. So you're 22 years old because you can't be in the draft if you're over 22. Yes, I'm 22 years old. Who's this? It's my son. How old is he? He's 10 years old. Okay. Okay. This Philly thing. There's room to grow there. I want to coach someday. Do you love being away from home all the time? Best chance to win in here is with you out there. What the hell am I still chasing this for? So you're just going <laughs> to give up on your journey? Been in this league for 30 years, and it's like, I'm nothing. So Hustle is currently on Netflix and the plot summary courtesy of IMDb is a basketball scout discovers a phenomenal street ball player while in Spain and sees the prospect of his opportunity to get back into the NBA. Uh, it stars Adam Sandler. It's a Happy Madison production. It's a drama. And uh, yeah, it's kind of an inspirational mentor mentee uh, story. Um yeah how did you guys feel about hustle um yeah overall go ahead tiny okay um i thought it was a perfectly serviceable kind of sports movie um i feel like it's really hard for sports movies to set themselves apart Mm -hmm. i feel like there's only a limited amount of themes that you can run with in a sports movie um, obviously, there are some great ones that sort of buck the trend. Friday Night Lights, Rocky, mm-hmm. um, movies like that. Are, are there, I'm not saying there can't be great sports movies. I'm just saying the well is limited of what you can draw from. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, they all kind of have these similar arcs. A lot of them have these similar arcs to them. And, and this is a fairly formulaic movie. Um, but I think, I think it had some heart to it, though. I, I think the people involved were... Uh, took it seriously and, and really cared about it. Um, and I think that shows an, an overall quality of the movie. Um, I thought it was, it, it was fun. It was perfectly, um, perfectly serviceable as, as like an enjoyable, um, you know, uh, who, who's going to win, who's going to make it, who's going to not kind of sports movie. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I had a pretty good time with it. Yeah. Nice. Ben, what did you think of Hustle? 
Yeah, I'll agree uh, uh, pretty much exactly with Tiny. Um, it, it doesn't uh, uh, upend the formula or subvert your expectations most of the time. Um, but it's it's still a pretty enjoyable, you know, summer Netflix movie. Um, uh, and Adam Sandler is uh, pretty good in it. Uh, yeah. I think this is not his best performance, um, but one of his better performances lately. Um, and he's been on a real roll the last couple of years. Um, you know, Uncut, Uncut Gems, uh, Meyerowitz Stories, um be Halloween. Um uh, <laughs> and he's he's pretty good here. I mean he's uh it it goes beyond uh the line readings and everything. I think he really inhabits this character really well. Yeah, um, I and and oh, uh I, I sorry, I uh I liked the way that uh the basketball sequences were filmed and and edited together. I think there was a real energy there. Um, I, I liked the fact that most of the basketball players, if not all of them are real basketball players. Yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, pretty enjoyable time. Yeah. I'll, I'll agree. I, I obviously did not have as, as a energetic opinion of this movie as I did with Thor, but, um, I really, I, I think that like tiny, you hit the nail on the head. It is very much a serviceable sports movie. Um, I felt like the things that I could take issue with things like the, uh, like, um, uh, Bo Cruz kind of felt a little bit, if it, it falls under the movie itself kind of falls under the, um, the kind of tried and true formula that I don't like. That's like, um people like mentors of like prodigal 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 uh athletes like using that mentorship to advance themselves like it's more i mean it's it's just as much for him as it is for Bo Cruz and i feel like the movie doesn't really give us enough of at least not up top it doesn't give us enough of a a push as to um, it, it doesn't really demonstrate to us the desire that Bo has to be an NBA star or anything. It's just literally like Adam Sandler sees him play playing ball in Spain and brings him back to, uh, brings him, brings him to the U S to try to get him in the NBA. And it's all kind of through Adam Sandler's character's perspective and everything. And, but we do, I mean, we do get stuff with Bo and his like his like home life back in Spain, but it it seems to be all filtered through the goals of of Sugarman played by Adam Sandler. So that that's a minor like issue that I had with it, but I did I did kind of appreciate that mentor mentee relationship, and I really think Adam Sandler just I mean he was phenomenal in it. He really played that. Uh, played that role incredibly well and had this genuine genuine quality to him that even if even though it was filtered through his own kind of like character and his motivations and stuff i still believed it i believed every second of it like he is so authentic in this movie and he just seems like he just seems so authentic and and i think that that's really a credit to to sandler's performance 
Yeah, I I agree. He has that. Uh, he has this like uh, subplot, I guess, of getting old and um, not really knowing how much longer he'll be able to keep up with it, uh, which you really feel in Sandler and his performance. Um, yeah, and I'll I'll agree. I think that. Bo Cruz could have been fleshed out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You get the nice bits with him and his daughter uh, and his, it's his mom, right? That's yeah. taking care of her. Okay. Yeah. Um, you get those nice bits. Um, but I, I think also you could have uh, fleshed out uh, Adam Sandler and his, and uh, Queen Latifah and their daughter's uh, relationship together. Is it kind of, you get the impression that he's this like distant father figure who uh, always lets her down uh, and is never there for her, but they still kind of have a, a nice warm relationship uh, in most of their scenes together. So I, I would have liked a little bit more exploration on that and their relationship. I agree that was a bit dropped in the movie a little unexplored um i, I think the um sport, sports movies like i was saying earlier kind of tend to be made up of tropes um and that's okay it, it can be fun um but i the trope that bothered me the most in this movie was the inexplicably villainous character uh the, character Kermit Wiltz, the other kind of the top guy in the draft who's like number one and like he keeps showing up for no reason and he's inexplicably angry at this dude. Like it just doesn't really make sense to me. Um I kind of give some credit to Anthony Edwards who who played mm-hmm. him. Um and, and you know the the other athletes in, in the movie who are not actors, you know, I think they all did a pretty good job. Uh, especially uh, Wancho Aaron Gomez, I think I pronounced that right. But um, yeah, I thought that Anthony Edwards did a pretty good job. But it was just like I don't. I, I would prefer to see a movie where that guy is cheer- rooting for him and cheering for him and trying to help him, and he screws it up or something. Like I think that would have been a, been a much more satisfying piece of conflict than the guy just being an outright outright villainous for no reason. That's I just I didn't. I thought that was just a silly trope that didn't fit, and I I would have preferred to see something more creative for that character. Um, but but most of the other stuff I thought was just, just really good. Um, and and I think uh, like Ben was saying, I, I kind of like the um, uh, all of the real real basketball players being in the movie. I thought that was a kind of a it made it feel more authentic. I think it wasn't. Um, you had to think of all of these. Uh, all these actors of like athletes, I guess it just yeah. it felt it felt uh, genuine. I guess I like that part of it. I I uh, uh, I kind of agree with you, Tiny, about uh, Anthony Edwards' character. But I feel like uh, from what I remember of my days as an NBA prospect, uh, <laughs> I feel like uh, that kind of you know antagonistic, uh, braggadocious kind of character. I feel like I'm I'm sure there are people like that out there, you know, just full of themselves and just trying to show off as much as possible. So I, I wasn't yeah. too bothered with that. I actually thought when you mentioned the uh the stock villain character, I thought you were gonna talk about Ben Foster. I did and his too. character. 
I did too, and and that was a little. Yeah, I, I was, was a just little annoying. Sorry. Well, <laughs> I wasn't super sorry. I wasn't super. I wasn't super thrilled with Ben Foster doing that either. But yeah, um, th- there's already so many obstacles in the kid's way. You didn't need anything else, I guess. Um, that's kind of my thought. But um, I don't know the, the 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 player Kermit Kermit Wilkes is the character's name. That just yeah. I don't know. It just it felt super. It felt um just too much for me. I guess sure. Yeah, I I didn't have a problem with that. I do think Anthony Edwards, I think he was phenomenal in it. I think he did a really good job with it. I my my rationale or my, or the reason why I accepted it and everything is that that was I mean, yes, he is very braggadocious. Like the whole reason that he is even there because he is like the number two prospect that like they say like he's the number two prospect for the draft but he wants to be the number one so that's why he is there for the scouts and everything so like it's baked into it that like he is he is this uh this kind of arrogant arrogant guy and him just being like a villain to Bo uh is is fitting because for me because he is he's trash talking which is common obviously in in sports um but it's also kind of it 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 gives bo more of an arc in that he is a hothead he's he's displayed or he's shown as a violent pers- personality who can't keep his cool under pressure or he takes things personally and that kind of helps inform the mentor relationship with adam sandler as well um and that that kind of gives him more of an arc through the movie itself. So I didn't have a problem with it, but I did have a problem with Ben Foster, just that I think that it was just, I think he was underutilized and I feel like there was no, there wasn't really like a final, like big come up and scene with Adam Sandler and uh, Ben Foster in the movie for my liking. So yeah, I don't know. I felt like that was a little clunky. But again, it's a serviceable sports drama that is supposed to be like super inspirational and and tug at the heartstrings a little and it it delivered on those fronts for me and as much as it delivers it delivered its, you know, uh Netflix subscription price <laughs> value to me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh um, yeah, I'm not sure what else to say about it really. Honestly, me neither. We can cut this down a little short. Um do you think what did you guys rate it on Letterboxd? We gave it three and a half stars. Um nice. and, and I th- I think that's mostly uh and I actually almost gave it four stars. Um oh, wow. I think that's mostly because um, I was kind of viewing this in the context of the uh, larger Happy Madison canon. Yeah. And this is like, I have my rankings of all the Happy Madison movies on Letterboxd, and I think I put this on either number two or number three. Oh, wow. So, What's your number one? Uh, funny people. Hmm. Funny people? Oh. Okay. Yeah. Huh. That's a Happy Madison production? Yes, it is. Wow. Okay. Um, nice. Uh, Tiny, what did you rate Hustle? I gave it three stars. Um, again, I just kind of had a good time with it. I think if you're, if you're especially in the mood for a sports 
movie, I think it's really going to scratch that itch for you. It it yeah. it totally plays that role. So yeah, I I, I had a fun time with it. Nice. Think, uh, sorry, I think I also uh, had had in mind the uh, the other 2022 Happy Madison sports movie Home Team oh, yeah. with uh, Kevin James, where he's playing Sean Payton, and that was this is like Citizen Kane compared to that. <laughs> uh, I believe you wholeheartedly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I rated Hustle three stars. I thought it was fine. Um, I basically, I rated it half a star more than I rated Thor Love and Thunder. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was fine. It was fine. I, I, I want, I, I hope that Adam Sandler does more dramatic roles like this. Uh, cause I think he's really good. Um, and it's, so yeah. So, hey. Uh, real quick, I had this thought last night as I was coming home from the Thor screening. Mm-hmm. Um, but if uh, if Adam Sandler were to ever be in the MCU, <laughs> uh, I don't know a franchise or what 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 character I would want him to play necessarily. But what franchise do you think he would fit best in? I could... Spider Man, <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy, or I could see him playing Whoa. a weird alien in Guardians. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sure I'm sure you guys have seen those um, like memes that have floated around online where it's like if they had made Avengers in the 90s, this would be the cast. You know, Tom oh, Cruise yeah. is uh, Tony Stark, Iron right. Man, and uh, I can't even remember some of the other ones. But yeah. uh, Adam Sandler is Ant-Man in the 1990s. I I like yeah, that absolutely spot on. Um, yeah, but I could also see him like doing the voice of Groot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that. Yeah, I, I think I think he could he could fit in. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I he will. Too. I mean, the MCU is swallowing up actors left and right, so yeah. I'm sure it's just a matter of time. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe, maybe he could be in the next uh, Black Panther movie. <laughs> <laughs> I could see him as I'm as as Groot and just saying like I am uh, Groot. Oh, oh, oh. God, what a go! Or I don't know. I can't do an Adam Sandler impression, but that goofy fucking voice he uses. Um, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Doing yeah. the little Nicky voice. Oh God. Yeah. If they hadn't already <laughs> gotten Seth that... Green for this cameo, I would have. I would. It would have been cool to see him do Howard the Duck. Um, that would have been interesting. Uh, that's a good one yeah hmm. um all right so is that it for this episode <laughs> yes sir nice oh i got all right well while we wind down ben why don't you tell us where we can find uh all of your stuff online and anything you have coming up uh on the interwebs um yeah just go to the moviestate.com uh one of my uh, best of the year so far lists. You may or may not see uh, Adam Sandler from Hustle on. Nice. Um, oh, uh, other than that, no, uh, no real plans uh, for anything coming up just yet. But be on the lookout. Uh, other than Marcel the Shell with shoes on, I don't have a too lot, uh, too much uh, coming down the pike as of right now. I'm sure something will come up, but oh yeah. Uh, just keep refreshing your browser. 
Nice. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, once again, check out Patreon, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer for a ton of uh, bonus content and everything, including all of my Stranger Things reviews, which was the last episode of the podcast. And as well as and as well as um, uh, my Stephen King short fiction reviews, I've done Night Shift, Skeleton Crew, and I'm working on Nightmares and Dreamscapes. I also do immediate reaction reviews and uh, the occasional commentary track and uh, and something else I'm forgetting. Oh, TV episode reviews. I'm going to do Severance soon. Super excited about that. Uh, but yeah, but that'll do it for this episode of The Obsessive Viewer. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Kind of a, it's a, it's a pretty unique story for King, I I would say, um, in that it is very much, it's, it's kind of recounting a lot of, um, a, a lot of oddities throughout Castle Rock and all centered around this house and, um, the, I guess the previous occupants of it, to be honest, I'm going to say up front, I didn't really care for this story. Um, it is very, it's very meditative and, um, kind of uh, how to phrase it. It, it's very meditative and, um, very much kind of in its own world in a sense, which makes sense. Cause I mean, that's what fiction is really, <laughs> but, um, it kind of takes its time. King goes through a lot of history with characters in Castle Rock and about this house as well. And it just kind of feels a little bit unconnected. Uh, to me. This podcast was edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com. You can find links to all of our shows at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. For exclusive bonus content, including reviews, commentaries, and B-roll episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.